You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Well, hello. Hi, it's like you're a stranger. I know. It's like, I forgot what you look like. I woke up last, we had, we recorded two podcasts today. So you're going to get to hear one um, out of the gate. But um, I was like, I don't even know if I remember what Catherine looks like. <laughs> it's been like, it's been a long time. So yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. I went to but Kona. You look, you look beautiful. So you went to Arkansas. I went to Arkansas. I'm in Arizona. I'm trying to hit all of the A states. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kidding. I don't know. That's just, I don't know. That's weird. I don't know where that came from. So anyway. Well, um, um, Big Sugar the, looked like a good time. The, rape the Big Sugar like was, it was so fun. Um, it's, it's just a cool vibe. I think, you know, last year we saw kind of what it could be for the after party, because not only is it the end of the season for so many athletes, like not just pros, but just regular gravel cyclists that are just kind of like, okay, it's time to switch to something different now. But it's also the end of the season for the team, for the team that's putting on the events. So, you know, there was definitely a lot of hair being let down. Let's just put it that way. So it was, it was a, it was a good time. It was a great event. Little Sugar uh, was really well executed for a first year event. That was pretty exciting to see that mountain bike race come off as well as it did. And then Big Sugar followed on its heels and, and it was another great Big Sugar. So super fun. And how yeah. fun was it to see, I mean, everybody, all the women race, but uh, Cassia race. Oh, she was just on, I mean, she was not only, she just, she was having so much fun. Like, that's what was really cool. Like, you know, her coming over off of her win and it was her first time getting to wear the jersey. Uh-huh. So the jersey was revealed at, uh, at Big Sugar. It would be a little and- intimidating to line up and be like, well, damn, I'm <laughs> the world champion. <laughs> but she just had a blast and she had so much fun at the rave, you know, like she just approachable and fun and nice and like all the things. So it just was, it was cool to see her watch the race. Cause at one point Lauren was like 90 seconds back from her. Like she caught her way up to 90 seconds. Yeah. Lauren, Lauren had a good day out there. Like like Lauren could like, and then she put some more time into her, but I was like, Oh, this is turning into like, it's just fun to see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you haven't watched the recap video, like that's, so we're good. really working hard on the coverage. Um, and so, you know, as for the critics that are out there, you know, it's, it's not lost on us that there's room for improvement. We're just trying to figure it all out. Cause it's, it's just, it's just coming down to us, like the lifetime team figuring out how to cover these races. So, yeah, well, um, it was really great. Good. Like the next yeah. day, 45 minutes, kind of, you felt like you were I sent it to people on my team and I was like, watch this. This is yeah. a great way. Cause you know, I just been at the Ironman world championship, Yeah, which was really fun, but you know, that's also an eight hour race. Right. That, and, and it's easier. It's way easier to cover that race. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But still who like, does anybody really want to watch? Like who's paying attention to Well, it's hard to watch that long. Yeah. Like, and I mean, honestly, weekend, I'll give the other example of, of the Havelina hundred with Heather Jackson. Like I'm literally watching the feed I saw you on the live stream. Did you see me on the live stream? I saw you like writing writing good job, Heather, or something at the end. Yeah. Well, I said something like, she just came off of Big Sugar, you guys. Like, 
because yeah. the big sugar you was a week before that. I was like, that. oh, there's Christy. I almost texted yeah. you. But. You should have. But Tim was like, "It's put your phone away and go to bed. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I've got to see her finish. And he's like, how far out is she? And I was like, well, she's a waste. <laughs> 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 but, you know, as in not answering because it was probably like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. But I was not going to not see her cross the finish line. I know. You're like, she's four miles away. But that's going to take, take a minute. Take a minute. It's, it's not on a bike and it's 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 at the end of a hundred mile run um but that's kind of my point was just like i i could have watched the recap but i just didn't trust that there would be one <laughs> yeah. yeah so it was so, it was fun to see yeah. to to watch her it was the the recap was so well done and of yeah. course lifetime does a great job i feel like Thanks. always having the stories that i can follow yeah. those because also i'm like the fall weekends, you want to be out doing stuff, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, navigating um, it all. Well, so I have to say, I was proud of myself as well because when we were in Kona, so you know, like our team is the people. Yeah. Like the age difference. You've met our team, right? Yes. And so, the last night we went to the or the night after the race, there's this big banquet and blah blah blah, and then there's an after party and like. Celine and Ella had gone to see manatees so that they were gone and then Ellen was like every, we were all walking out and everybody's like oh I'm so tired and Ellen was like I'm so I can't wait to go home go to bed Ellen's like 30 the rest of us are closer to 50 yeah and, and I was like guys I feel like we should go to the after party yeah I was out till 2 a.m dancing good job <laughs> Good job. Kudos. It's pretty fun. I was like, now I remember why I don't stay out until 2 a.m. Yeah, I know. Like the next day is Partying not anymore because it takes so long to recover, but it was very, very fun and it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it's the same thing, I think, probably is like the, the big sugar where everybody, the big sugar, <laughs> but big sugar, you know, because triathletes have a reputation for being a little more serious. Yeah. Um, And uh, just seeing people like really let down their hair after a long season in the world championship yep was quite fun that's what the rave so. was it was just like people were like there's nothing on the calendar but is pressing so take a minute relax yeah. enjoy each other's company high five each other you know it was it was fun so yeah it's impressive that it was the same day like this was the next day so at least people had gotten to go home and sleep and like that's true get some good recovery get some good and, recovery um, we just rolled with it it's an, it's an endurance event rolled, rolled, well you can't do that because well, you know iron man like they have it till midnight to cross the finish right it's more like that's an different it's more of an unbound thing yeah for sure so, so the next day is the celebration banquet but um it was really cool being there for the women's only race like good job it, it, it was good it was so good was, you know there was a lot of criticism like oh because the qualifying rolled down which by the way it rolled down for the men too because so many men like deferred to kona but um the one thing I saw, like I was just having all these women on the course. So it was like 2000 women. And I don't know if you saw the stats, but it was the first time every woman finished yeah. the swim. It, like the stats were crazy around it. The highest finish rate ever, but there was just so much joy yeah, on the course. Like, I don't know, just like people being really proud of that. They were there, like living off the stream and that's awesome. Just being joyful and kind to each other. <laughs> We were, we had rented some scuba gear one day and the guy at the uh, scuba shop was like, I really like the women here. The guys just poop in the street. I don't even want to hear that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. 
change of subject. <laughs> so anyway. Well, yeah. Um, uh, we have an amazing guest. Uh, this is so fun. We could have talked to her for like two hours. Yes. And we need to have her back on. It was amazing. So um, yeah, fantastic. Good lineup. I'm glad you reached out. So we have Abby Mickey that we're going to get to hear from today. And yeah, it's good. Yeah. There's nothing else to say. You're going to really just enjoy, <laughs> enjoy this conversation. Enjoy it. And let us know that we need to do and another interview with her. Really? She's I know so good. Christy, Christy has to pee. <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> we just recorded two hours of podcast. <laughs> I can see you squirming. I know. I'm squirming. Okay. That's okay. fun. We're, Thanks, we're... Catherine. Love you. Goodbye. <laughs> we're going to go on to our interview with Abby Vicky and Christy's going to hit the bathroom. Hey, all. It's your editor, Lindsay, here. I want you to get ready to ante up for the ultimate gravel challenge this summer. Join us at the 2024 Trans Rockies Gravel Royale where adventure awaits in the breathtaking Canadian Rockies. Experience the thrill of a unique three-day stage race surrounded by stunning scenery on secluded gravel roads in the British Columbia backcountry. With two distance options, the full pint or half pint distances, there's a challenge for every level of rider. And forget about logistics, Trans Rockies has you covered. Fully supported with tents, meals, aid stations, technical support, and even massage services. So all you have to do is focus on the ride. You'll stay at the picturesque Nipica Mountain Resort, nestled in the heart of the Rockies, and celebrate your achievements with daily podium awards, group dinner, and custom design memorabilia. After the ride, you can unwind at Chillville with cold refreshments, music, games, and camaraderie with your fellow riders. Don't miss out on this epic adventure. Register now at transrockiesgravelroyale.com and use the code GGG24GR100 to save $100 off your entry. The link and discount codes will be in the show notes of this episode. Embrace the challenge, conquer the gravel, and create memories that will last a lifetime. So go all in with us for Trans Rockies Gravel Royale this August. I am very excited about our guest today. And I know some people in our community are going to be too, because they're always like, well, Abby Mickey said this on the podcast and Abby Mickey, <laughs> they're sitting, they send me things that Abby Mickey said. And so I was like, you know what? We should have Abby on the we podcast. We just have Abby and Mickey on. Yeah. Welcome, Abby. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. You've got to tell us everything about the state of cycling today. Oh, That's all. Yeah. It's a small <laughs> task. I yeah. can definitely get through that in 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, really, like that's all we have attention spans for anymore. So, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Yeah. Um, before we jump into some of those conversations, though, we always do like to start hearing a little bit about your journey with the bike and how you got into it, and then how you got into cycling journalism, kind of where that story took you. Yeah, I, I started bike racing in college. Uh, in the, I was going to see you in Boulder. Colorado University, University of Colorado, I don't know, in Boulder. And um, I started as a ski racer at, there and ski raced my entire life, but we'd always do cross training on the mountain bike. And when I went to college, I was like, you know, I don't like being cold anymore. So I'm going to try this mountain biking thing and totally fell in love with it. Um, did road to kind of train for mountain biking and was like, actually, this is even better. And took that all the way through to racing 
semi-professionally in, in Europe a bit, mostly in the U.S. And uh, come 2019, after a lot of issues with eating disorders and honestly just putting too much pressure on myself, I was like, "This, I can't handle this lifestyle anymore. I'm done. This is the perfect time because then the pandemic hit and I wouldn't have wanted to be a bike racer that year anyway. <laughs> and um, <laughs> pretty much as soon as I, before I even retired, I started a podcast because I was I was kind of shocked by how little the cycling world knew about women in cycling. Mm -hmm. And so this, the goal in the beginning was to kind of amplify the voices of the women that I was meeting while I was racing. Um, Cause I would meet these incredible women that were, they had PhDs and they, you know, were in grad school the same time that they were racing and they were mothers and they just had all these really cool stories to tell. And I was upset that there wasn't any, one willing to tell those stories. And so I was like, well, I'm really good at talking. And my mom has always told me this. So I guess I'll start a podcast. And um, that podcast got picked up pretty quickly by Box Women and Anthony McCrossin. And it turned from an interview podcast into a podcast about the relevant news in women's cycling, talking about racing. And with my co-host, Lauren Rowney, back in 2017, we got that podcast off the ground. And then come 2019, I retired. I was ready to completely walk away from cycling. I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. And um, Kaylee Fretz came to me and asked if I would be willing to start a women's podcast for then cycling tips. And I was a bit hesitant at first, but he convinced me to come on their weekly podcast and I had an absolute blast talking to him and Neil at the time um, and uh, and James Wong. And it was such a good time that I was like, yeah, you know what? I will start this women's podcast for you. And that turned into the freewheeling podcast, which then um, with the collapse of cycling tips, I think we can call it that at this point. <laughs> um, I went off and started the freewheeling podcast which is in association with the Escape Collective. So it's the same people, me and Lauren Rowney, we've been doing it together since 2017. And I'm so, so glad that she's still my co-host on the podcast there. Um, and we picked up Gracie Alvin along the way, who's just an incredible get. Uh, she's just an, a legend of road racing, an amazing human being, has done incredible things for the sport. And I still can't believe that she does a podcast with me. But the whole goal in the beginning was just to get some coverage of women's racing and a lot of it for an American audience, because in Europe, they don't need a ton of help with English speakers uh, getting getting more news out about women's cycling. But in the U.S., it's very little is known about road racing on the European scene. So that was kind of my goal. And at a certain point, I just loved chatting with Lauren and Gracie about women's racing. And that's kind of what the podcast is now. Very cool. And you're based in Europe, correct? You? Yep. Yeah. One of the joys, one of the, um, one of the things that cycling gave me was a husband <laughs> and uh, he's still racing. So we live in Europe for, for his career, um, which is great. It's cool to be in the middle of the scene. Um, and yeah, we live in Andorra which is really nice. It's a lot like my home home in Colorado. I can walk 400 meters to the ski lift, which is a dream come true. So not too bad. Sounds that amazing. sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, like, that I feel weird amazing. like talking about myself on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great to like get the background and, and I'm sure a lot of people know, but there's also people that don't. And so it's always mm -hmm. really good to kind of get the fill in from behind the scenes and who, who you are. Um, 
you said something when you were like, you were just ready to walk away from cycling altogether. Like what took you to that spot where you were just like, mic drop, I'm out. I was in a really interesting time at that point when the world tour was just being introduced to women's racing and Mm -hmm. teams were called professional, but you were only getting paid pennies. In my career, I never made more than $8,000 a year, which is not enough to pay rent and buy groceries, let alone like travel back and forth from Europe, which I was expected to do on my dime. So I got to a point where I was told by my team that I wasn't serious enough because I had a side job. And I was like, but you only pay me $8,000 a year and I can't afford to feed myself. Um, So that was part of it was just a lot of frustration. It's also really hard for Americans and really anyone outside of continental Europe, like anyone in obviously like African countries, but also like Australia, uh, Asia, Canada, South America is really hard to get over to Europe and race professionally. If you it's not only just getting there, but you also have to find a team that's willing to put you in the races and find a home base that you can feel comfortable living in full time because you can't there's no way for people to afford to fly back and forth unless you're on one of the best teams so i got to a breaking point where i couldn't afford to keep doing it and justify that expenditure from my partner's salary that he was making and then funneling back into my career that didn't make much sense We were engaged at the time and we were thinking like as soon as we get married, we wanted to have a baby. So there was that in the back of my mind that there was no way I could race and also have a child, at least not when my partner is also a racer. I know one couple that does that and they are unbelievable, but they also live, they're also European. So their mom, they're both of their moms are right there to help them. Yeah. Um, And that's not something that I had. And I also had a really horrible experience my last year racing where I lost a teammate to suicide and the team had a really hard time after that, um, kind of finding our footing. A lot of the women on the team quit. Um, we were a really, really tight knit group group of girls. I call them my best friends still to this day, a couple of them. And the season was really, really hard for all of us. And it ended in management of that team firing a handful of the girls because we couldn't get results. Um, without thinking about what we'd all gone through that year. And once they had let a couple of the girls go, I was, I thought, well, this is a heartless world and I can't be part of it anymore. And that was part of the reason why I never wanted to be part of the sport again. And I think I still struggle with that. Um, it's still something that I have a really hard time with with a lot of stories that I hear about women, I recently did a piece on escape collective and I talked about it on the freewheeling podcast about the Yumbo Visma situation and hearing stories from women in the Peloton who are still going through things that I went through, even after we've gone through such massive changes in the sport and such massive growth is really hard to hear. And so I I still have those moments where I'm like, I, this world is way too hard for me to be doing this as my job. Um, but then like this year I went to the Tour de France Femme for the first time. It was incredible. Um, the people that I got to meet, the stories that I got to tell and just the energy around the race was something that I've never experienced before in in my life. And it really renewed my love for the sport. And I think that there's so much good in the sport that 
the, a lot of the bad can overshadow it at times, but I I really like to focus on the good stories as well, like what Zwift is doing for the sport, what teams like Little Trek are doing for the sport. You know, there's so much good happening at the same time. So I'm still kind of living in this. <laughs> Do I want to be here? Do I not want to be here? Um, and it all kind of comes from that final year of racing. That was a long answer. I feel like I'm <laughs> no. talking too much. You're not. You're the guest. Oh, you're supposed to do all the talking. <laughs> I know, but it's it's a weird place for me it's, to be in. <laughs> I know. It's a flip. I, when I've been on podcasts, I'm like, mm. <laughs> um, well, I did. I don't want to like, like I, there is so much good to focus on. Right. But I do think it is helpful for people to understand some of the systematic things that make it challenging for women to succeed. Right. And so like a couple when the tour was going on, a lot of people were saying, the men's tour and the women's tour should be the same. Like it's not equal because it's not the same distance. And like, there's a lot of things that come out and it's like, well, actually it can't be because there's not enough riders. Right. Um, and maybe the men's should actually be shorter. I really like how, okay, like, why are we using a hundred year old system yeah. to say that that's what everybody should race? Personally, um, I would love it if the men's race was shorter because for my husband to be away for like five weeks is just a really hard really hard well, time. And it's just not the way our attention spans work anymore. Right. Like no. we like things that are fast and short and that we can follow for a little bit. And then that, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, anyway, I would, it's one of the reasons that women's cycling is uh, so much, so exciting is because the races are so short that there's just action from start to finish. It's pretty rare that you have a women's race that is dull to begin with and then heats up, but that does happen, but it's, it's more rare. Like when it comes to the classics and stuff like that, the races are on from the gun and they're on the entire time. And like for the tour de France, it was like every single day, it was a new kind of drama and the race was flipped on its ass and sorry. And every, every day you, it can, was you new... can say that on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> there was like 30 new stories to tell at the end of every day. And it's because the races are so short that so much happens in that there's so little room for error. And I think it's one of the things that makes women's road cycling stand out so much. But I also think that like what gravel is doing where there's more equality is not a bad thing. I think that there should be a place for that in cycling. And I think gravel is a great place for it. It's the way that it kind of roots itself in how cycling first began and that women get to experience that is really cool. But I don't think that that there's any place for complete equality in women's cycling when it comes to distances, because the, we just don't have the depth of the Peloton. We have some incredible teams and we are continuing to push forward in having more women get on, get onto those teams and get at a level where they can compete, but we just aren't there yet. And right now, for example, there's 15 world tour teams, but there's only five that really feature in every race. And the rest of them are just kind of there. And until we have more teams that can feature in every race, and it's not one team dominating the entire season, like we saw in 2023, there's just no way that the race can expand to more than a week. I mean, 10 days would be great, but I feel like that is the limit at this point in where we are in women's cycling. I also don't think that it would be, it's never a good thing for us to replicate the men's sport. There are so many issues with men's cycling and the calendar and the way that teams are run and the way that riders are treated. And women's cycling is relatively new compared to men's cycling. So we have the luxury of not making those mistakes. And I think as we get, as we continue to grow so quickly, we are coming close to making the same mistakes as men, as the men's peloton. But where we are right now, we can still counterbalance it. And so, yeah, I, I always, 
whenever I have this argument with people about how the women should have the same distance as the men, I'm very firmly on the side of please don't do that to my sport because I don't want to sit there and watch Milan San Remo. I'm never going to like, there's a website called is Milan San Remo good yet? And you just go on it and it says no, like the entire race until the one climb. And then it's like, yes. And then it says no again. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to the women. I don't want to do that to fans of the sport. I think the way that we pull people in is by the excitement. And when you have short races where so much happens, you can sit there and watch the entire two hours of live coverage and you won't even know two hours have passed, you know? And I think that's something we have going for us. I think I think you're bringing up some really good points that that I totally agree with. That like, as we're looking at these different disciplines of cycling and the different different events, different, all of it, none of it, none of it has to be the same. And we, and we get to kind of forge our own path. And I think that's a really important piece that I don't want to lose sight of. Like that's, that is, that's going to be what makes women's racing stand out and what's going to continue to bring a bigger audience to, to the sport is just the fact that's like, yeah, I mean, we can take a look and see what, see what's been done in the past, but that doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. It can be changed. And and I think that's a really, it's just a really good point. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping people are listening and hearing that and just, you know, embracing that idea that it can be different and it, it doesn't mean that it's less just because it's different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I want, so I wanted to dig in a couple of things, just Again, our audience doesn't necessarily follow pro cycling as much. Some people are super fans, but so there are 15 teams in the, at the world tour racing. So that's kind of the top level of team, right? To race in a world tour race, you have to be on a world tour team. Correct. correct? It also is the only tier of women's cycling that has a minimum salary. Um, So the teams have to be more professional because they need to have of minimum salary for all of the riders. They need to have the a certain number of staff and those staff need to have contracts, for example. They need to have things in place like maternity leave for the riders. So there's a lot of rules that come along with being a world tour team and having that license where those those women are treated well in theory, are treated very well and have a professional team that they ride for. Every other team, there's no minimum salary. So a lot of the riders on on other teams aren't paid at all or paid very little. Um, and that's kind of one of the major differences between a world tour team and another team and other teams, because while we have the world tour teams are able to compete in the world tour races of which there are 32, 27 throughout the that year, I believe. Yeah. Tw- I think it's 27, but I think it's somewhere around 70 something race days. So including the stage races, which are (laughs) multi-day um but the other teams that are uci that have uci licenses are still able to compete in those world tour races uh which makes it quite interesting in terms of you have women who are paid nothing racing against you know the the top paid women in the sport which is an issue that we talk about a lot on the freewheeling podcast almost weekly (laughs) (laughs) we will let people go there to hear more of that um so those the teams their their money comes from sponsorship correct mm-hmm. primarily yep. or if they have like a rich like i've heard the men's team some of them have like a very rich person the women's teams don't really have have that they have yeah they have like a traditional sponsorship model from brands okay um so that's one thing like we always talk about what people can do you can support brands that support women's 
cycling. Yep. Um, and then on this, like, so if you're on like one of those top teams, like how much are the top women, like what's that salary range on that team? Would hmm. you guess? Um, I would say that like, if you were on a team like SC works, for example, which is the top team in the world, the probably the lowest amount that anyone would be paid on that team is about 50,000, 60,000 euros a year. And then the top women are making 800,000 possibly on that team. And that's the best team. That, that's so that's a lot more than I thought. I was guessing yeah. 200,000. It depends on the team because yeah. if you, if you ride for something like, you know, UAE team ADQ, they're probably making a good deal less, but there's probably still riders on that team that are making 200 to 300,000 a year. Uh, Little Trek is a bit the same. I would say other that their top riders are probably making a bit under a million, but I wouldn't be surprised if like Lizzie Dignan was making over. Um, she's ex world champion, but also is worth, well, she doesn't weigh very much, but worth her weight <laughs> in gold. Um, when she's pregnant, her weight. <laughs> maybe, yeah, her weight plus her two children is like one of the only mothers of two in the Peloton, um, with a world championship to her can name. They, can they have sponsorship deals outside of that, or is it just with their? It depends on the team. Um, like there are some teams that are totally fine with their riders having sponsorships outside the team. Like I think Kasha Neodoma rides for Canyon Strand, but she has a Skoda deal on the side. Um, but some teams are really, really strict about keeping it all in team. Like uh, Yumbo Visma is really, really strict about all the riders having mu- their salary come from the team and not having any outside deals. So it really depends on the team. It it exists. Outside deals exist. But I think they're rare, pretty rare. I'm like, seriously, this is so interesting because like, <laughs> literally, like well, I mean, in the gravel yeah. space and watching trying to like, what we're trying to do within the lifetime grand prix to elevate cycling in the united states and watching the disparity between what some of the men are making and what the women are making like we're not there and so it's can these but even what the top women are making and what the other because that's the same thing here that's happening here it's the same and i think like that's what mari holden i've heard her say is like part of the problem is the feeder to get there where you were saying abby like you might have people racing that are making like nothing you got a free bike and a kit and yeah five thousand dollars this year yeah and so what's the pipeline to get you to a place where you can really make money Mm -hmm. and get on one of those teams yep yeah i think that's one of the biggest problems also i I mean i'm not sure about the gravel scene in the u.s the amount of races they have if they have smaller races that riders can enter that don't have the best of the best of gravel at the race so that they can get their name out there yeah if they get any results but in europe um, when it comes to the women there's really not that many races that non-world tour riders can show up to and try to prove their worth and make their way to the top of the sport and there's not that many teams that are willing to develop riders at the same time mm-hmm. there's a handful of teams that are that have development teams it's becoming more of a thing but there's a huge problem right now in developing the amount of riders we need to tackle the calendar the UCI has given us and to be able to make the sport competitive enough to back that calendar. Um, 
there's a big problem with development at the moment. And it's it's getting better as the World Tour teams pick up development teams. It's been, there's been, I think there's five now that have development teams, which is huge. But especially if you're trying to come from the US to race in Europe, it is a huge problem. I mean, I watched uh, one of, what I who I think is one of the best U.S. riders at the moment on the scene, Heidi Franz, like really, really struggle to go from racing in the U.S. to racing in Europe and had an awful year trying to get on a European team this year. And she did do some gravel races. She was phenomenal. Um, but it was really hard for her this year to try to get onto a European team. And even when she eventually was in talks with teams, they would say, oh, but you don't have the results. And she's like, but I can't get into the races because I can't get a team to take me to the races. So I can't get the results. And it's like a never ending cycle. And in the egg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and just if you're looking at how many times a year you're racing at that yeah. high level, like you just develop skills that other, like it's hard to develop those skills if you don't have mm-hmm. those opportunities because there's so much tactic and skill to bike racing. <laughs> right very much yeah <laughs> so which not so much in, which is interesting because i feel like in the gravel scene you actually see because so many men came over from the world tour now right so you see a lot of tactics and skill being put in mm-hmm. but the women just like there's not that there because they, they're not coming from teams or they haven't had the opportunity on teams to ride that way when they well, come i over. love that the, the gravel scene in the u.s is giving a lot of women a chance to find a place in cycling in the u.s because Ever since the collapse of um, Tour California, it seems like the U.S. scene and the pandemic, really, the U.S. scene has really, really struggled. Um, Back when I was racing, there was a pretty good U.S. scene and teams from Europe would come over and do races and teams from Australia would come and do the whole season over there. And it was really cool. But in the years since I retired, it's really taken a hit. And so I love watching the the women like Lauren De Crescenzo, for example, have a place in the sport and have a place in the sport that's like really groundbreaking in a lot of ways, even though gravel is very much like, yeah, like I said, the roots of cycling <laughs> kind of renewed. Um, like her and like Sarah Sturm, I'm a huge fan of her, are really setting, um, like carving out a place for women in cycling in the US. It's quite cool. And like with women's road cycling, gravel is so new in a way that there's not all these uh, archaic, I don't know if that's the right word, (laughs) Um, things put in place already, like in the European racing scene where, you know, having a rider come out in the men's peloton is something that I don't think I'll ever see. I mean definitely not while my husband's in the sport, but probably not until my daughter grows up because it's just such a, they're just so rooted in what they've always been and stuck in the way that they are. And I like that gravel doesn't have that already. I think there's problems with the UCI getting involved. I don't know if you guys want to get into that, but (laughs) it's, it's one of those things where I'm like that, that conversation I always find incredibly interesting because like, obviously the UCI is getting involved. Um, The, the flip side of that is, is there room? And I guess my answer at least at, at present time is yes, just they stay over there and do what they want to do with gravel and they're not dictating what we're doing at these other events. And that to me, um, you know, if you want what the UCI brings, there's a spot for you now, but that's not going to be, I don't think that's going to be the ethos of all gravel events. So yeah, I just don't, I I don't see that happening, but 
people yeah. talk about it like it's going to, but yeah. I don't think the USAI getting involved in road cycling has helped the sport grow worldwide. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. There's kind of a like, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You know, like, oh, you for sure. Do it with you. But I do, I think like what, where a lot of the rub came was when the race was not covered and there were American women that were like, I show up and I'm used to having this like sense of quality. Like I'm used to having cameras in my face. Like we, inter- I told you we interviewed Caroline and she, and I asked her, what did you think of the media coverage at Unbound? And she was completely shocked about that. She was swarmed by media, that she was this front and center. She was like, I finished a race in Europe, like a UCI race, and they didn't even announce my name and I won. So <laughs> like, I think that's where, when the American women showed up and they were like, what the fuck? Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, not having live coverage of a world championship race is just like a, it's just unforgivable. I mean, I'm still mad and there's, I'm sure that there are issues involved with um, some of the world tour road women coming over to the gravel side when it's not really there. They spend all year racing on the road and, but like Cash is one of my favorite riders and that she won a world championship and I didn't get to watch it is something that I just, I'm never going to get over it. <laughs> I'm I'm still upset. Yeah. Well, I think like what people were, what we felt more upset about was like, this seemed like it was really good racing and nobody could see yeah. it or nobody, yeah. could even, nobody even could get the high, like, and one of the things that's really cool that like, if you ever follow Unbound, like it's a 200 mile race, nobody wants to sit and watch that. Right. But they do a good job of like, doing stories and having commentators out on course Mm -hmm. and like you can just kind of follow along all day long and they didn't even try that it ruined my freaking saturday (laughs) like i that's what i want that's what i wanted to do that day and you know there's a piece of you that's like it's so exciting to have that feeling to be like oh my god i cannot wait to watch these women race like that piece was really cool and then to have it kind of like well, it was, you know, taken away and like, oh, woe is me, whatever. But, um, but that just was like the whole part of it. I could not believe that they couldn't even figure out a way to cover it. And to, I mean, I blaming it on the promoter, the person that was putting the event on, it felt short-sighted too. Like, no, how did you not UCI's have that covered fault. off on? Yeah. It's, yeah. that's where I, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's your fault. It's, mm-hmm. it should have been an expectation and a hundred percent should have been an expectation outlined from the get-go. That's yeah. yeah, Bad form. Totally. Totally. And it was such an exciting race. I mean, not even cash winning, but also like Sylvia Persico just coming back from like a thousand deaths to make it onto the podium. Like she was dropped and came back and dropped and came back and dropped and came back. And that was so impressive to watch on the recap, which was not remotely long enough to know half of what happened in the race. I mean, yeah, it would have been such a good race to watch. And that was robbed from us. Yeah, I've told several people, you do a really good job. I actually sent it to one of our um, social media editors. I was like, listen to this intro and pull some content from it for one of our social posts about just like kind of like the shared responsibility. So um, we'll link that episode in the show notes too, because I thought you, and I can't remember who you were talking to, but y'all did a really great job kind of just talking through like that and the responsibility. And I was like, this is real. that's actually when I was like, we need her on the podcast ASAP. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I think the other thing, and maybe like talking to you and realizing some of it is 
for American athletes in the gravel scene, like their sponsorship is so reliant on being able to be seen. And now in like, okay, if you're on a world tour team, like you already got your salary, right? So it's not as big of a deal because that was one of the things some of the girls said, they were like, well, European women were just kind of like, okay. Like they didn't seem mad about it. They just seem like this is kind of to be expected. Like this just happens to us. Yeah, they are a little bit more. true or were they mad? (laughs) I mean, I think that they were annoyed, but it, it, for a lot of the women that I know that went to the race, it's, it was kind of a last, last hurrah of the season that had already been a really long road season. And so for them, it wasn't so much a huge moment in their season as like a, uh, exciting end to what had been a very long season already. So I could see them not being as angry, but they are in a very different position than the riders who came over from the U S and riders from other countries that are gravel riders who rely on their own sponsorships and not team sponsorships. And they, they're the ones who have to call up their, have to have a conversation with their sponsors who pay them their salary and say, Hey, the world championships, nobody got to see me race. Um, like for Sarah, who had an incredible race that day, and I think ended up in the top 15 or top, she was definitely in the top 20, like that nobody got to see that. And she can't call up Specialized and Rafa and be like, hey, I had this really good race. They got to see uh, people, people got to see your bike out there or whatever. Like that makes much more of an impact on riders like her than it does the the European women who race primarily on the road. So I, yeah, I think that their anger is justified and I wish some of the women who race primarily on the road who showed up to gravel worlds understood that, but I think it's not something that they, they have their own shit that they're dealing with. So if they didn't also think about how that would impact the riders that they were racing against that don't have road salaries, it's something that I think they can be forgiven for. Yeah. Is it hard to speak out if you're on one of those teams? Because you're kind of in the system and it's pretty misogynistic. Yeah, it's really, really hard. It's something that, I mean, when speaking with riders about situations going on within the Peloton, there are so many stories that I'm told that I can't tell. I mean, the amount of gar- uh, the amount of stuff that I have on some of the DSs in the, in the women's Peloton is wild. But there are so many women who are afraid to speak out that it's just never going to come out. And a lot of them are afraid because they speak out and their name is out there. And yeah, it might, it might be a bit groundbreaking in terms of other women in the world reading that story. But when it comes to the very small bubble of the European Peloton, the DSs are mostly men. And so if you're on a team and you speak out about that team, other teams are not going to think that that's a good thing. They're going to see that as you being a problem. And so a lot of the women are afraid to speak out or they just don't speak out because it will ruin their career. And it's not something that's like, Oh, they're afraid of their, they're afraid of how it'll impact, but the, the good that they would be doing for the sport is so much bigger. That's just not the case because it would end their career. They are correct in thinking that and correct in being afraid of what speaking out will do to their career. And that is horrible. And I wish that there was more that I could do, which is part of the reason that I'm still in this career um as a journalist but at this point in society cycling hasn't had a me too movement they haven't had a big moment that completely changed the tide of 
how the women in the sport are perceived. We still live in a world where in women's cycling, the women who actually race their bikes are still the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to everything having to do with the sport. So we're not there yet. I hope we get there someday. And there are a lot of men in the sport that I hope never get to work in the sport again, but we're just not there. Yeah. Wow. That's, it didn't occur to me until we were having this conversation. And then it's like, because I think a lot of times the women that stand up for things over here are ce- actually celebrated by their sponsors and it, it can, it can help their career. Cause they're kind of standing up to some of the things where I think if, you could... if the women in Europe were more in tune with their sponsors directly, then they wouldn't be as worried, but it's not the sponsors that make those decisions. It's yeah. the, the management of teams and yeah. a lot of the management of teams are still very much European and it's just not as celebrated as a thing over there. I do want to just spend a few minutes kind of talking about next year because it's going to be such an interesting year with the Olympics. So you're adding in some of the best riders on these world tour teams will go to the Olympics. The Tour de France fans starts the day after the Olympics ends and then just add all the, like if they're already racing seven, like 27 world tour races in a year like what do you think 2024 is going to be like for women's sites i think wild. there's kind of potential right like olympic year the women tend to do really well in the olympics and at the same time that seems like a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah next year is going to be completely insane i mean the classics the spring classics that start in february and go until until the beginning of may or i guess end of april are always the best races of the year and the Peloton, the entire Peloton shows up to those races on fire, but they are going to be a whole new level next year. And a lot of that is because for the women next year, the Olympic road race is a completely different race than any Olympic road race we've ever seen. The IOC put into place a rule where all the sports need to have equity. Um, So the men's Peloton and the women's Peloton has to be the same size. In years previously, the women's Peloton has been, I think, 67 riders, while the men is 140. So for the first time ever next year, we're going to have a Peloton of 90. And that opens up 23 spots for the women. And that's 23 riders that are going to see this as their opportunity to go to the olympic to the olympics so it's not just the riders on the top who are going to be on the best form of their life to win the olympics it's also all of the riders who are gunning for a spot on the olympic team which means that from the very top of the peloton to the very bottom everyone's going to be on their best form so from the very beginning of the season it's going to be game on all the way until the olympics and that we have the tour de france right afterwards is so exciting because it adds this whole new element into the season where yes the olympics is always the pinnacle when it comes to an olympic year but the tour de france femme of exwift is this whole new beast where it's completely changing the landscape of women's cycling in a way that i don't think anyone really anticipated except americans because we really love the tour de france <laughs> so i don't think europe saw this coming but it has definitely happened where the tour is the biggest race in women's cycling so you know riders like Kash and Iwadoma who are looking at the Olympic road race next year and thinking I'm actually not super suited for that but 
this might be my chance to win the tour. So it's going to be a wild year where you're going to have riders like Kasia potentially not go to the Olympics in favor of the tour. And you're going to have riders like Demi who are going to try to target both. And I think it's going to be just an amazing year. It might be one of the first years that we see a completely wild Giordana because of the retirement of Anamie Van Vluten. That race is wide open for the first time in five years. So there's a lot that can happen next year, a lot that will happen. And every single race is going to be insane. I mean, I cannot wait. I'm like so burnt out on cycling at the moment. I always am when it comes to like October, November, but I cannot wait for the season to start, especially for like the, the classics that are have, that are a little bit sprint friendly are going to be kind of the best showing of what we can expect at the Olympic road race. It's not a sprinter course exactly, but it's definitely more sprinter friendly than a lot of the Olympics we've had. Well, definitely the last two. So I think, yeah, there's like way too much to look forward to than I could even list right now, but it's going to be a wild season. Yeah. And the race is one week before the tour, right? The road race is like, the I think it's two weeks. Um, yeah. The women's road race is August no, July 20, July 20, no, wait. Okay, so I have Taylor Swift tickets the day of the women's <laughs> race. August 3rd <laughs> or 2nd. Priorities. <laughs> it's either the 3rd or the 2nd. I do remember that you're a huge Taylor Swift fan <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to tell my boss, like, look, I can't cover the women's road race in Paris because I'm going to be at the Eras Tour. <laughs> um, no, like it's, it's either August thing. 2nd or 3rd, and then the Tour de France Femme of X Swift starts, I think, 10 days later or the 12 yeah Yeah. um so it's about 10 days it's a it's not a crazy turnaround um like uh, there will be plenty of riders that do both but it's going to be really interesting to see what the build-up to the olympics does to the tour de france start list because that race is so important for so many riders that they are going to have there's so much pent-up energy that goes into the olympics that once you finish the road race even if you don't win there's this massive come down emotionally Mm -hmm. and that is going to have a huge impact on the tour next year i also am so excited that the tour starts in rotterdam because while a lot of people are upset that half of the race is outside of france in the tour de france the belgian and dutch fans are going to be out of control it is going to be so cool to see this lined like we've never seen before at a women's race and to have the world champion be Belgian and a stage and two stages start in Belgium is going to be so cool. Also, you know, France is going to be, we're going to be, I said this in the podcast, we're going to be tired of France by the time the Tour (laughs) of France rolls around with the Olympics. So I think, yeah, that's been an interesting discussion, but I'm, I'm really excited for the start in Rotterdam next year. Yay. It'll be really cool. I'm um, stoked. <laughs> like to yeah. just hear you talk all about it. I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I know. I know. And I don't think Americans realize cycling is a huge deal in Europe. Like people come out and watch. Oh yeah. Like I used watch, to go to races to go? Uh-huh. like as a nobody and people would come up to me with like pictures of me that they found on the internet and be like, sign this. And I'm like, I'm not even going to finish this race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, somebody was like, do we need to like take a group over to watch the race? They have people to watch. Well, yes. The answer is yes. But they were thinking, so we have people to watch them. I'm like, that's not actually the issue. The The issue is you can't watch them from a distance. Like people are going out in the streets and watching in Europe and it's more suited for that. Right. The European towns and stuff, but still it's like a massive sport. Okay. The amount of fans that were at the race this year at the Tour de France, like I'd heard of the fans last year. I couldn't go because I had a 
like three week old, but the amount of fans that were roadside at the Tour de France fan this year was incredible to see. Just like, I mean, I never thought that I would see that many people interested in women's cycling. And I always thought that this was a very niche sport and that I was happy to try to amplify it. But when I was there, I was like, you know what? <laughs> this is not nearly as niche as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. still need to amplify it. So don't ever think that that's yeah. not worth it. Need- <laughs> yeah. yeah. We still need the stories. Yeah. Okay. My very last question for you is um, if you're looking at the top women, when they retire, who do you think we're going to see show up to gravel in the U.S.? Who's going to be a gravel? Who's going to do like a Ted King or a Pisa? I know they're American, so it's different. But who do you think is going to be like, I'm going to retire? To pending gravel. pending her, um, like what goes on in her life outside of cycling, I feel like Cash is the, definitely the number one. Like yeah. she has so much fun riding a gravel bike. And it's such an incredible outlet for her who's been in the roadside of the sport for so long and really she's so serious about road cycling that gravel has been a way for her to reconnect with riding a bike and actually enjoy riding a bike. And I think for her to win gravel worlds was like, there's so much more to that story than just her winning gravel worlds. Gravel is such a special thing to her. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if she eventually called it and did a little bit of gravel racing on the side. Um, I also think that there's a couple like, there's a couple unknown riders that would do really well in the gravel scene um, that aren't at the top level of the women's sport, but there's like a couple British riders that are really, um, I think we're more likely to see women who aren't at the top of the women's pellets, the women's road peloton, but are just a level below. Like those are the ones that I think are going to come and change the scene when it comes to gravel. Yeah. I think it'll make the women's race even more exciting when they start. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's some pretty amazing women in the gravel scene at the moment. There, there are it, 100%. The women are so exciting and they're so fun to watch. I love and their I social them, medias. Like, yeah, yes. Because they so, have to promote themselves. It's really yeah. cool that what they're able to do, like without the constraint of a team well, telling them and what they, they have, need to do. They have genuine fans. Yeah. Like as they should. They, yeah. Yes. As they should. That's to me is the coolest thing. Like when we, had them all out or the, yeah, had them all out at the, at big sugar to autograph their trading cards. It's, it just gets me every time watching these little girls walk up to get these women's autographs because I'm just like, that is, that is so impactful. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's really development in, yeah. in the, in the base form of like creating these fans that want to grow up to be like these women, you know, and they are, there's so many great role models, which is also super encouraging, you know, as a mom to a daughter, it's just like, this is so cool. Cause like, what a great, what a great way to just perpetuate women cycling is just giving them that platform. And they all have just stepped up and taken it and been really cool with it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I think like all those things. And I think like, what Sturmy was saying about coming to Gravel World. She's like, that's the first time we sat down and we started talking about tactics and how we could work together. And and I think like that's where it could get exciting because that's where the guys at the top of the race. So you're like, who's you don't know who's going to win until the finished sprint. And with Gravel, you're like, well, you know who's going to win. Typically 20 or 30 miles out. Doesn't make it any less exciting, but right. Like it's really fun to watch 
But yeah. now the race within the race with the Grand Prix is making it really fun because like a lot of times you see that sprint happening in the back, the second and third groups. Um, yeah. So anyway, we could, we could keep talking about that. But, um, <laughs> if, if people want to hear more from you, your podcast is called the Wheel Talk Podcast. Yep. Are you all taking a little break for the off season? We are. Um, yeah, at the moment we're, we're on hiatus while the racing season is done. We have in the past tried to cover cross, but Lauren's the only one who actually watches the races. And at a certain point I was like, we are not doing justice. Like, I can't it. do anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're taking a little bit of a break from the regular podcast, but I am doing um, interviews and stuff throughout the off season for members of the escape collective. So I think it's like a dollar, um, but I'm not here to promote that. So you can but go you to should, Escape it's Collective. A great, and, it's a, all the writing yeah. I've read is amazing on the Escape Collective. So if you go to escapecollective.com and you go check out the Wheel Talk newsletter, which is a newsletter that I write every week, there's info in there about the members only podcasts, which I, I'm pretty sure are just like one dollar or one euro Um to be able to access the the members only podcasts and i i've interviewed a couple really cool people like i have an interview with ezra trump who's the general manager of the new ef education cannondale women's team that's going to be like a pretty incredible team on the scene next year um i have an interview with uh mags who's one of the writers on that team who's she's canadian and she's i think 22 at this point but a really really interesting backstory and one of the best domestiques on the team. So there's stuff like that um, throughout the winter that I'm going to publish on that feed. And otherwise, we'll be back uh, second week of January to talk about the Women's Tour Down Under, first world tour race cool. of the year. So people should go subscribe to that or follow that podcast. And then your personal, your Instagram is private. So, correct. Yeah, yeah. but I, I usually accept followers. I don't, I think the only reason okay. it's private is just to, I don't know. I think I've made it private at one point because I was like, oh man, I can't with social media. But then <laughs> if you have a bike in your Instagram profile, I'll always accept a accept a follow. <laughs> um, but that's A B I Mickey, like the mouse, M I C K E Y. Same awesome. on Twitter. Well, thank you for getting us. Or wait, and um, what's the other one called? Threads. Yeah. Threads. Okay. <laughs> I forget about that one. <laughs> I don't use it, but maybe someday when Twitter yeah. collapses. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for giving us so much time and so much great insight. Maybe we'll get you back like once the season's underway and kind of get your scoop. That'd be fun. So. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. And sorry if I talked too much. No, you it was great. Abby. Thank you so much. It was really fun. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.